Life is hard. Life with chronic, critical, and complex health concerns is even harder. We all know someone who is struggling with health issues or disability. It might even be you. And in the pain and suffering, we wonder if it's possible to move from surviving to thriving. We struggle to hope, struggle to persevere, struggle to trust that God knows what he's doing. But in the struggle, there is real hope, and it's possible to be rooted and ready to weather the storm. Welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We are husband and wife team Brandon and Amy Smith. The Bluestem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. Today, I get the privilege of sitting down with Troy Soljum for another Bluestem Project story of hope. He and his wife, Jana, and their family have walked through the tragic death of their nine-year-old son, Jeremiah, a tragedy of unimaginable hardship, but also a tragedy God has used to bring supernatural comfort and healing to them and through them to many others. Troy and Jana are part of a powerful ministry called While We're Waiting, a ministry that brings hope to parents who've lost a child. Additionally, Troy, at 57 years of age, joined the Ministry of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and by a sovereign twist of fate, he and I have shared an office room together for about the last nine months. Troy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brandon. It's good to be with you. It is great to be here, Troy, and I have become, I would say, great friends in the last nine months. I really appreciate him, and so this is kind of uh, a big deal to me to be able to sit down and let you tell your story, some of which I have heard and been greatly moved by and encouraged uh, by your faith within it and also the grace of God within it. But can we maybe just start with this? Would you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family? Give us a little background of who Troy is. (laughs) I'd be happy to. Thank you, Brandon. So uh, as with the case with so many people, I was raised thankfully in a solid Christian home with parents that you know were, were wonderful examples uh, to the Christian life um, and so I'm so thankful for that. And I have a wife named Jana and I have five birth children and two adopted children. Um, we farmed and ranched for just about 17 years and in the midst of that um, doing um, fence construction we started a company back in 2005 and were led, as Brandon said, to this ministry of FCA. Ironically, about 10 years ago, I was driving and looking for a place to hunt right down where Troy lives. And I literally thought about stopping in at this house and asking permission if I could hunt there. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I'm going to bother. Was that our house? And I would, I would have met you 10 years earlier. (laughs) My life would be so much better off, Troy, had I, (laughs) had I just done that. And then you told me that you probably would have let me, but what do you remember about how we met? So my boss, my supervisor, his name is Nate. Nate Safey is our state director with FCA. I remember having a conversation with him. He said, you know, Troy, there's this gentleman his name is Brandon. I would really like you to meet him, and this is why. And he and he mentioned at that time that you had Beckett and the struggles that that um, that he has. And he said, "I would just really love. I think the two of you should meet." So I remember one afternoon sitting in the conference room in our what is now our office, 
sitting there looking at my computer doing something. And I remember when you walked in and we got to meet in passing and we had a, I think what ended up being a pretty in-depth, quick conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It went deep uh, fast. Yep. It went, yes, it went deep fast, but I think that's the, the world in which we dwell now. Well, I remember, yeah, Nate telling me about you and it was during a period of time where we really thought Beckett was going to pass away and doctors had ex, you know, told us to kind of prepare for that, expect that. We went and visited a funeral home even. And so when I knew like, oh, here's this, this guy who loves the Lord, who has a ministry to parents who have lost a child, I thought, wow, I, like, I, think, I think we're going to be pretty good friends hmm. uh, pretty quickly. And uh, I'm thankful that Beckett obviously has not passed away yes. yet, and he's improved a ton. But uh, I, I know one of the first phone calls I'm making uh, when he does. So, yeah, it's How been a pleasure that? hanging out and knowing you. Can you tell us a little bit? We're going we're gonna to get to hear kind of what happened with Jeremiah's passing and the things that God has done. But before that, could you share with us maybe a little bit of, of your journey of walking with God? Sure, Brian. Um, that kind of prepares us or helps us understand you and your wife uh, leading up to Jeremiah's passing. As I had said, um, I had a couple parents that were really just a blessing to me. Um, they gave a lot of margin in my life to figure it out. Uh, when I was young, they were great examples, uh, you know, of Christian parents. Um, so I'm thankful for that. I think as I reflect back to those years, you know, I think I would have fallen into that cultural Christian category. I don't think I've ever mm. seen myself as anything other than a Christian. But as I've grown in life, I learned that I, I likely was not regenerate, you know, mm. So it's, it's a, and I'll mention a few of those, a number of events that God has allowed to happen and occur in my life that woke me up to the reality of the gospel. And I would say one of the first events, uh, I remember having conversations with my mother about how she could listen to Christian radio, you know, AM, hmm. like preachers like Dr. Stanley, uh, Chuck Swindoll. Hmm. I thought these were some of the most, it, it's some of the most boring conversation and boring things really? to listen to. <laughs> and I was very taken back by that. And I could not understand why mom enjoyed that so much. Well, ironically, well, those guys are talented preachers. They, they and, are and life-giving <laughs> preachers. So they are. And at the time, you know, that, that just shows a state of my heart at the time. Mm-hmm. Imagine I would have not really believed in the full inerrancy of the scriptures. I think I would take the cultural point of view that, oh, well, mom, aren't these scriptures written by men? So if hmm. they are, and men being fallible, right, that's how I looked at it, that certainly this can't all be true. Well, in the mid-90s, I was farming, putting in the crop, one of those springs, and it, it was funny, I, I had a tractor that only had an AM radio, and no air conditioning at the time. Oh, it had AC, but it did not work. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> even worse. It tempts you to, yeah. And um, God led me to those very preachers that, my, that I thought were ridiculously boring. Hmm. And I found myself craving that gospel that was being spoken. You know, hmm. Dr. Stanley, I remember his style of delivery. It just captured me. It captured my heart. And I knew the Spirit of God was working on me, probably more so a time later, but as I reflect, you know. And so 
I didn't ever like to be in the field. I was a cattleman, so that was my first love. So farming, the dirt farming, it wasn't my first enjoyment. But I remember wanting to get back into the tractor to turn that radio on to have time to listen to these hmm. preachers. So that was a really the really the beginning of a of a longer journey to I wouldn't say of faith, but how God what God used early on to draw me to himself. Uh, certainly uh, getting married and seeing, you know, across, you know, holding my hands was a, a, a individual, a human being that I knew now that it was not just myself anymore in the picture. Mm-hmm. Up until that time, it was pretty much me in the center of the universe, right? Yep. And God was there and implanted. I had him planted in various boxes around my life. But getting married started to change that. And certainly then a year and a half later, the birth of our first daughter brought, of course, immense joy, but it brought a new perspective. Sobriety in life. It's sobriety in life. Yeah. And um, it was really, there was a deep, there was a deeper love. I think God was working through me at that time. Like, okay, you have now an increased love for your wife as you, watch what she just birthed, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your first child. And God used that and, and, and woke me up to maybe his, even his creation, just his hmm. powerful handiwork. Hmm. Again, I was kind of a slow study. Sure, sure. <laughs> I was so apparently entrenched in the world, at least internally, and had walls built up that God, again, used a number of different things. And he, he knew exactly what I needed and when I needed it. My brother was married, I always forget the year, 2000 or 2001. And I remember a pastor was preaching the homily during the wedding. Hmm. My wife and I both stood up for, for my brother and sister-in-law. We were attendants. And the pastor was preaching a message I'd never heard. I was used to, to short, you know, two-minute I guess for lack of a better word, encouragement or TED Talks or, you know, or a traditional, not that they're all bad, you know, just kind of a, uh, these are the words I speak taken out of a book. And this pastor preached this message. And I remember weeping. Hmm. And I remember looking over at my wife and she was weeping. She was saved through Christian radio by a gentleman by the name of Todd Friel. He had a show, and he still has a show. It's called Wretched Radio. Oh, sure. Yeah. I know Todd is, yep. Yep. And she was was actually saved during one of his programs. Uh, Powerful experience for her. And the journey that God had been bringing me, you know, drawing me to himself, there was a moment in that, during that wedding message, that I really became broken and Mm. recognized my need for him and though it's hard to pinpoint that day that was definitely a turning you know i've mentioned a few turning points but i i was kind yeah, of a hard sell major occurrences major the occurrences. work of god in your life yeah that's right so we found we we ended up leaving the church i was raised in which was very hard and we loved those people the message had gotten really watered down we knew now and that was evidence of the spirit of god working in our lives as we we were drawn away because of the uh, some of the heretical messages yeah. that we would hear. 
So that was a big crisis, so to speak. In one aspect, it was very easy to leave. But in other ways, with, with family and friends that were still there, that made it a little bit more difficult. But mm-hmm. thankfully, God did lead us away in a grace-based way. And, and we, the church that we landed in is where we still are today. So we're grateful for that. But after being fed well through the preaching of the word, the fellowship of the saints, a number of years, maybe three, four, maybe five years passed by, and God began to convict me in a way that it started, I started realizing that the Christian life must be more than what I'm doing, than, than just this. Hmm. Not that the worship with the saints is not biblical and important, but as I started getting a better grasp of the need outside of the church, God really, he really began to wake me up to that. I live in a community that is a pretty close-knit community, if you think mm-hmm. of it in a cultural way. We, in many farm communities, there are neighbors that have it out for the other neighbor. Sure. We don't really have that in our community. And so my conviction came in driving by, for instance, one of my neighbors a half a mile up the road, a man who, along with his family, brothers and sisters and father, you know, had struggled with alcoholism. Though we were cordial and we would greet and see each other on the road and put our arms on the doors, roll on the windows and visit from time to time, I thought, you know, I'm taking care of myself here and my family, but what am I doing really to to love on my neighbor other than some casual conversation? Mm-hmm. That is what I mean by being convicted, that I'm leaving this community and driving 30 miles east to worship, to go and attend church, pulling me away from my community, which we needed to do. But I was being, whether I was being drawn back to that community in particular or just a lost community anywhere in the world, Mm -hmm. you you understand? Yeah, yeah. It was really that conviction that carried us into what we what began as a volunteer effort down in Texas. I never mentioned, but my wife is from there. And she had a classmate. They weren't real close, but as a, as a youngster, he became addicted to drugs and alcohol, probably in junior high. And it, I would imagine, I think it was around 20 years old, um, he was saved and his first path was to go to Moody Bible Institute. So he went there to hmm. Chicago, took his family up there, and anyway, received his seminary degree, but recognized that God had a different calling in his life. And that, that though there's plenty of preachers in the, in the world, he figured, he, think, he said, I need to go back to the streets of Denton, Texas to minister to the um, brokenhearted. Well, we met him in 2009. We were down there for a high school reunion of my wife's, her 20-year reunion. We met the Adams, Jeremy and Karen, and along with many others, um, and spent time praying for the reunion weekend. You know, Hmm. as as kind of an aside, there were some Christians that had gotten together. uh, But anyway, after the, the weekend was over, we were driving, I remember, in this little Oldsmobile Chiva is what we had for a car, and we were going to head home. 
back to North Dakota and you know, we kind of looked at each other and we were a little bit intrigued by this Denton Freedom House. So we thought, knowing that Jana knew the area well enough, we'll go hunting for this. We never had the address. We so kind of that was the ministry he had started. That was the ministry yep. that he founded. What it was called. Yep. Yep. It ended up being up in Aubrey, uh, right north of Denton, Texas. And we went and found it and walked or drove onto the premises and spent about six hours just worshiping and in prayer and getting to know these people. Hmm. When we left on the drive home, we knew that there would come a day that we would be back there to serve. Because those men, um, I had met a gentleman by the name of Patrick, who actually a number of years later came up here to work for me in the fencing business. Hmm. Hmm. He was one of the first men that had come out of the home that I met. God just opened up a big door there, uh, a big part of my heart. And so I had mentioned that we had adopted some children and we had them in our home six years and through a, 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 a number of events, they had to be removed from our home, which was very painful, very hard to go through. It was mm-hmm. a loss. We experienced a lot of different emotions, but because of them being out of our home, we were drawn back to that ministry in Texas. So 2013, we returned and began to serve those men. And I would say that is really the thing that most radically transformed my heart is, is uh, being able to minister to men of all different backgrounds, different storms, you know, homeless, coming out of prison. I know met men that had been in the Aryan nation and then being able to be together as a family to serve them, you know, wash dishes. Jana worked in the kitchen to talk, to visit with these men and encourage them to love them. It wasn't rocket science. Mm-hmm. It was something that came natural by God's grace, I really believe. I'd like to tell one little story from that. Yeah, please do. <clears throat> I met a gentleman by the name of Arthur Early. Sweet man. This was really a strong, solid faith-based recovery ministry, um, really steeped in the Word of God. It was really like, in many ways, uh, a junior seminary for these men. Anyway, we, were, we, we had been down at the uh, facility for five weeks. It was the day we were leaving to go back home. This gentleman that I had made good friends with, he was in about his seventh month of the program, he had been given responsibility, like a hall monitor or different duties he had. He come up to me. We were having breakfast one morning. He came up to me and he said, uh, Troy, would you, uh, before you guys leave, I'd like you to line up your, or take your family, bring them into the middle of the fellowship hall here, or the, I should say the cafeteria. And I'd like to have the men of the home circle you and pray over you and speak into your life. And that kind of caught me off guard because as many that have done any sort of mission work would say, you go to be a blessing and you end up being blessed tenfold. Mm -hmm. And it usually catches you by surprise, you know. And that's what that did. And so I said, all right, kids, Jana, let's line up. And so there were seven of us in the line. And sure enough, Arthur lined up about 35, 40 men around us in a big, big circle. 
Keep in mind that some of these men may have just come off the street that day, but Arthur was modeling something very important, which impacted me later. Uh, But anyway, we didn't know fully what to expect, but they began one by one speaking truth, what was true towards me, towards my wife and to our family. But when the men would, they were going around the room and when the men would say, God, we, we just give you thanks for this, for Troy as a, as a father, as a husband, you know, we thank you that he is, you know, fill in the blank, right? I, 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 I began to weep like mm. I had probably never weeped before because it's like I was in my head, the enemy was saying, well, you know, you're not that guy. You're, you, you, these men don't know you really, mm. you know? And so it just touched my soul. But I soon realized that they knew I wasn't perfect, you know, but that by God's providence and by his strength and his grace that I was able to model his love to them, you know, I learned that that's what they knew. That's the truth they knew, you know, and so that that really, that was really pivotal. I remember... I think one of the first times I met Jana, one of the things she told uh, told Amy and I about you guys is, is that we like messy people <laughs> and that you like ministering to messy people. This and, and I remember thinking that is a passion and a gift and an ability that I think can really only be bestowed by God because you, Amen. you pour out a lot of love and it takes a toll. It's costly. And I think only a real supernatural ability from God to love hard people is, is really the only way you can you you can do it. I'd like to read a verse. It is actually the uh, it's the mission verse of Denton Freedom House, but it's one of my life verses, and that comes out of Luke four eighteen, and that's where um, the scroll is rolled ro- uh, rolled open. And Jesus is speaking, and he is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. It says, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That verse, it really speaks to me because here Jesus is reading that which he knew he was appointed for. And by God's sovereign act in my life, I know that he too has set that task in front of me to bring the gospel to a people that have no hope to that Mm -hmm. feel broken and Mm -hmm. that are suffering from uh, multiple situations to set at liberty those who are oppressed and so that is a definitely a life verse for me so you had a pretty unique experience if i remember right leading up you know maybe in the in the weeks or months before jeremiah passed away of, of prayer at your church and then also in the cemetery by your your house would you tell us a little bit about that yes thank you brandon 
so this gentleman that I had mentioned from, from Texas, Arthur, he served hard and didn't get much rest. And so on his 60th birthday in and around, it was August of 2015, he flew up here to North Dakota and spent, I'm not sure, I think it was close to a week with us. This was a man of prayer, very uh, confident in his prayer life. He was known in the Freedom House for many one-liners. Uh, hmm. He always had something, just it was God-given, something really wise to speak to these men, to speak over them, but in a language they could understand. So he came up, and I had mentioned earlier that I had come under conviction in my community, you know, that I, I needed to be, God showed me that I needed to be poured out, you know, show his uh, mercy and love and, and, uh, and how he wants to use us in life. Uh, and I needed to do that in, a, in some sort of community. And so I asked Arthur to come down to the little Lutheran church that I grew up in that was not functioning as a church anymore, just a cemetery association. Hmm. You know, uh, we have a plot there ourselves, my wife and I. Um, and so we thought, well, this is kind of where it all began for me as far as faith. You know, I, I was given a lot of good, solid background and a lot of wonderful pastors in my early years. Mm-hmm. So it seemed a natural thing. So we went down there, myself, my two daughters were not there. So myself and Jana and Barak, Jeremiah and Elijah. And we went down there and Arthur. And Arthur and I were in the sanctuary and Jana was roaming the hillside. This church is planted right on the, on the, uh, the side of a hill. And she was just roaming. I was looking, I remember looking out the window um, beautiful uh, August afternoon. She was just showing different graves and, you know, kind of our family and, 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 you know, relatives, you know, grandparents and so on and so forth. They later joined us in the sanctuary and, and we were praying and, and Arthur, he stood up at the front and I've got a photo of him standing there, you know, imagine a, about a six foot seven man, about probably 300 and some pounds raising his hands to the heavens, right? To just worshiping God and through prayer and, and just praying on, you know, for that thing that I talked about. How would God, what, what would you have of us in this community, in this hmm. church? Hmm. Uh, um, and so it was a real special time. And, and, and as I'll later talk about, it was only about two weeks, Brandon, after that prayer, after that day, that we were having a funeral there, a burial for my son. And so that really impacted us deeply. And we had to really reconcile what, what the answer we were being, you know, how was God answering this prayer? Sounds like a, a sovereign orchestrating of events, even in a unique place, but not with a, an answer that you were considering even a possibility never in the world never in a million years or even certainly not something you would choose but yeah if 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 it's all right would you maybe at this point Troy just share with us a little bit about Jeremiah's passing and that's a, a painful thing to talk about but there's also some really neat things that I've heard from you that God did in and through and around that and so yes I'd be happy to 
You know, as time goes on, Brandon, um, yes, it's always difficult to reflect on that, on the, maybe the event or the events leading up to that day. But I'm always, I know that the spirit of God sustains me in that grief. And so I'm always excited and just really though painful, I really desire to share that story because it's really a story um, that leads to a story of hope. Uh, my youngest son, Elijah, his birthday is on the 16th of September. So that morning, as with all birthday mornings in our home, my wife uses her skills and talents to make cinnamon rolls for the birthday child. And that was Eli's day. And so we stayed there for that. The plan was for Jeremiah and I to go up to Grand Forks, North Dakota to work on a fence project out on the Grand Forks Air Force Base. But before we left, we wanted to stay there and celebrate Eli's birthday. And so we did and opened some presents, had some delicious cinnamon rolls. And, and mid-morning on the 16th, we, we left for Grand Forks. Um, I remember the evening before, it was a time where I used to do a lot of running and we had an RV parked up there for the, for the workers. And we stayed in that. And that was one of Jeremiah's favorite things is to stay overnight on a job site in this RV. You know, it's just hmm. a fun time to be together as guys. And, and, uh, I, I had a foster son that worked for me. His name is Jonah. He was, it's about 28 or so at the time. Jonah and I went out for a run that night it was dark we went for about a six mile run came back and watched a movie or something and i remember jeremiah sitting in my lap just a sweet very sweet memory and and then we went to bed and the next morning as with any you know morning it started off with coffee and we we drove um to a little town called emirato emirato i think and got our coffee and we pulled up to the coffee, the convenience store. And Jeremiah kind of liked to dabble in coffee a little bit. And Jeremiah at this time is, is just nine and a half years old. I should mention, you know, that just that work environment and being with his dad, you know, all of my kids up to that point had the opportunity to come with me to work. My two girls, hmm. Barrick, and now it's Jeremiah's turn. And he really, really liked that and really loved doing that. And there was just a, I remember I could see many looks on his face, just, just loving being there, you know, yeah. hmm. being there with his dad and, and just a, just so thankful for that um, opportunity. Anyway, we were going to step in for coffee. I said, Jeremiah, you can just you know, stay here. I'll, we'll be right back. And I remember him looking up at me just with them eyes at Melchia. And he goes, Dad, do you think I could have a cup of hmm. coffee? <laughs> you know, and I said, I said, how, you know, how can you, how can you say no? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll get you one. Well, somehow he come out and he was right there with us. So that's a special memory. We went back to the car and then we proceeded to the job site. And the day began there with different duties and and responsibilities and Jeremiah was given a, a task of distributing you know hardware we were putting up a chain link fence so he had a I tasked him another with a, a with another young man of 
setting out hardware per location, you know. And of course, like a lot of young boys, um, there was a four-wheeler out there and, and he started loading up this hardware on this four-wheeler on the, on the toolbox. And I said, no, I really would like you just to walk that out. You can, you can do this by hand. And though I know he was disappointed, he, he just said, okay, okay, dad. And those ironically would be um, the last words that I heard him speak. Hmm. Um, we were, I was working kind of in a zone, cutting pipe, cutting long lengths down to the length, you know, post length. And what had ended up happening is that Jonah and Jeremiah had taken the four-wheeler and gone back to our staging area to pick up another bobcat. We had two bobcats out there and a can of WD-40. And I didn't even know they had left. Um, I had gotten, there was someone that stormed up to me in a pickup saying that there's been an accident. And, and I'm unaware at this, in that brief second. And he said, it's on a four-wheeler. And I'm still confused because Jeremiah had been given those instructions to not be on that. Mm-hmm. And anyway, soon then quickly realizing that it, that something's happened. And then, then he made mention that it's a younger boy, right? So he took me up there and, uh, of course dropped me off and, and drove away. And I rushed over to Jeremiah and he lay there. A four wheeler was a distance from him, um, right side up. And I just remember him seeing him lay there. Um, no, no life in him. Um, and, but as a father would do, you know, you're doing what you need to do just kind of kicks in. And so I started giving him uh, CPR and terrified, scared of what seemed to be happening. Mm-hmm. But at the same time thinking this can't be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was nothing. There was no response. And I, I've always told people that in, in those moments somewhere, um, whether I was hearing the voice of God audibly or in my spirit, you know, isn't as important as the fact of this is what I was hearing. I was reminded of the story of Abraham and God really asking or commanding Abraham to to give up his son to bring him to the to Mount Moriah and and to sacrifice him and the words I heard is what are what are you willing to give up for me Hmm. and I remember um, feeling so weak and unable and I just crying out I said God I can't I'm I'm too weak you know and I know it was probably just a fleeting moment, but there was a rush of peace that passed through me um, that I knew somehow it was going to be okay. What it being okay was, I didn't know at the time. But that, that was a real powerful moment 
It was a powerful message. Minutes, what seemed like maybe a, an hour passed before the rescue people got there and they, they respectfully and gently removed me from the scene. I sat about 15 feet away as they worked on him. The, uh, and I, I was on my knees weeping um, and crying out for mercy and obviously for, for God to sustain his life uh, and also begging for his will to be done. Mm-hmm. Not mine, God, but yours. And that's supernatural right there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a supernatural work being done immediately. One of my fellow workers, employees came up to me and said, Troy, you need to call your wife. Hmm. And so I did that. And, and that was equally, if not more painful than what I was already experiencing. She was at a homeschool. It was the first day of homeschool co-op at our church. And that would have been Jeremiah's, you know, first homeschool co-op for the year. And he was given that option, you know, you sure you don't want to come to the first because he loved co-op, you know, he loved being there with his friends and whatnot. And, but I hadn't mentioned, but he wanted to earn money to save money for a guitar. Hmm. And that's why he came up to work. He felt that though he knew his dad would certainly buy him one, he felt that he should come and work for it and save. And so, yeah, when I called her, you know, after, you know, the initial trauma of that, we had a dear friend, um, Melissa Linus, who brought her up to Grand Forks. We met up there. I remember being trans when, when we, maybe an hour, hour and a half. Roughly. Or, yes, it was. Uh, it was a long hour and a half for her. Well, I was sure. already at the hospital, um, you know, along the way. The, the paramedics had been telling me, you know, they would say, Father, I was up in the front seat of the ambulance. They say, Father, you know, we, we're doing everything we can. And I think I knew at the time that, that we were going to lose him. Um, I, I think I began to have an awareness that they were sustaining oxygen in his organs because we had him as an organ donor. He wanted to be an organ donor. And so it, it soon become a little bit more apparent Jana would say that when she asked me, well, is he going to be okay? You know, when I told her that I don't know, then Jana knew that it wasn't good mm-hmm. because I've always been the half, the glass is half full kind of guy that it's always going to be okay. And when I said that, I don't know, that was really striking to her. It was hard for her to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jana is on her way up to the, the hospital and you see her there. Yeah. What are some of the things maybe going through your mind in the immediate aftermath here? And, and yeah, maybe how did God meet you in that? I felt a lot of sorrow for her as a mother. And I would imagine there's part of me that I don't know if it was blame. I, I think the Holy spirit sheltered both of us from that i was maybe at to some varying degrees feeling horrible and terrible that somehow i let or i'm going to be let or i'm letting her down or i let her down or not 
watching out for our son. And that was really hard. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a lot of sorrow for her. But I, I um, when we when we embraced, um, when she came in, she just said, I, I just want to see him. You know, he was in the next room. I was in a gathering room. And we went in there together and, and said our goodbyes to him, you know. Um, but she she was able to not blame you and jump to a conclusion and anger never once or... never once was there a foul word or an angry word directed at me is she human of that's, course that's and really I'm, amazing yeah. i'm sure she battled things in her in her flesh a little bit uh, but but god gave her the strength she knows that she knows my love and care for my children and knew deep down that this was what it was. It was an accident. And as we came to realize it was uh, God's appointed day uh, for Jeremiah, which is not, nothing, which is no, there's no human that loses can really fully grasp that. Mm-hmm. So I'm thankful for that. That was a powerful work. God met us. You asked that question, how he may have met us early on. I would say by his spirit, that was one thing he protected us from right away is, is that emotion and that, that blame. And for that, I'm forever grateful. There's a misunderstanding out there that loss will often lead to divorce. Though it can be a contributing factor, to maybe an already unstable marriage, it is actually not correct that loss will automatically or that a high incidence of divorce occurs um, when you are walking in the path of obedience, you know, and, and seeking the Lord for healing. Um, he has sustained our marriage and, and stronger than it was before then, I believe. Yeah, well, thank you so much, brother, for sharing that hard story and part of your your life but I know you've mentioned at times to me a few passages that really or verses that really helped sustain you or that God used in your life would you share some of those uh, with us maybe what truths carried you through or your wife or your family yeah I'd be happy to the the first verse that I think of comes out of second Corinthians chapter 1 starts at verse 3, and this is the verse about the comfort of God. We first experienced this in a very real, poignant, supernatural way at Jeremiah's funeral. If you can imagine, which, you know, when you're at a funeral, it's difficult enough, but when you're there for the passing of your own child, it's a day that should definitely be, though it was a very painful day and sorrowful day there was some work that was being done there that we really later and not very much later came to recognize as God comforting us and this verse verse 3 out of second Corinthians 1 says blessed be the God blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of all mercies who comforts us in our affliction 
so that we can comfort others in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have received from the Father. Jana and I found ourselves greeting people as they entered the funeral, the church, comforting them. Yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Yeah, that's an amazing work of God. And there was, there was a work there that was starting that we, to this day, are really in awe of. When you embrace someone and they don't know what to say, and you're just welcoming them with a, with a hug and a thanks for coming and whatever word it was, you know, it's going to be okay or whatever it was. That may not have come out of my mouth, but it was a very, that became a verse and a passage and an understanding of the comfort that God desires to give us through our storm. The 23rd Psalm coming into play, you know, about about our shepherd being with us in the valley of the shadow of death. The promise um, that he would never leave us nor forsake us ever. I was younger and I remember many people know the 23rd Psalm. Mm -hmm. But I think I associated that with older people that had passed. Hmm. Never in any other light never really seen it, the power that is actually applicable there for all of us throughout our life, not necessarily even surrounded by a death, but just living life and knowing that our shepherd uh, is leading us and has not, nor will not leave us. That was a, that was a very um, powerful experience. I should say event, you know, that happened. And of course that has continued in these coming up on eight years this fall. Mm-hmm. And you you spoke at the funeral as well, if I remember you. Yes, telling me about that, which I've wondered if I'll be able to do that or not at, at Beckett's, and I go I go back and forth. Yes, whether I think I could or not, and I'll have to wait till that time comes and see what grace God gives me and what I should do. But yeah, would you share a little bit about about that experience and? I could have never preempted that in, you know, weeks ahead of time and said, yeah, when my, you know, if my child was to pass that I would love to speak, I, I, I would have never, you, you can't dwell in that realm. Yeah. You, you just avoid that thought because most parents, right, when they know of our loss, they will often say, I can't imagine, which we're, that's where we were at. I can't imagine. But now that we're there, I had to speak. I had to speak. Because there was things about his life that I felt no pastor or anyone other than my wife would know. And I, 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 I just felt I was just really convicted that I needed to speak some things that God had done in Jeremiah's life in and, and then in and through him to me that I needed to share. And so I was able to be sustained in those moments and just to speak truth, gospel truth, and why I, you know, 
why I knew and why we were assured that he was with Jesus because of his profession and of his, not only of his profession of faith, which is a sweet moment uh, my wife got to experience actually when he, his, his older brother, Barak was telling him, you know, the Bible says what, or uh, Nicodemus says, what must I do to be saved? You know, Barak would walk through this with his younger brother. Now Barak's only 11 Hmm. at that time. Or no, no, I'm sorry. No, he's only seven or eight at that time. Um, And he would say, well, Jeremiah, are you ready? Nope. (laughs) Jeremiah would say, nope, I'm not ready. Well, one afternoon or one day, they were outside and Jeremiah came running around from the backyard, I believe, and tugs it at uh, mama's pants and says, mama, mama, guess what? I became a Christian, he said. Hmm. (laughs) But, Hmm. you know, he knew uh, what the Bible says about salvation. And I wanted to share that. I wanted to share with the people there because I knew not everybody there is saved. Mm -hmm. And I knew that this is an opportunity that the truth of the gospel really needs to be on display. I'm just thankful that God sustained me in those moments to do that. And I felt it was also a way to honor his memory well. Yeah, as you were sharing about uh, God's comfort and the comfort that you've experienced, much of what I've known of you, or initially as I got to know you, was through the lens of the ministry that God has led you guys to uh, called While We're Waiting. So, yeah, would you share a little bit about how God led you guys there and, and how God has used you. Yeah, sure. And Thank used you. Jeremiah's tragedy, your family's yes. tragedy with Jeremiah. Yeah. Yes. It really began a month after Jeremiah went to heaven and Jana stumbled onto a podcast called while we're waiting. I was, this was unbeknownst to me. Uh, she listened to this faithfully. She would say that she knew that there would be a day that she would want to be involved with this organization. This organization was really founded and began by two couples that had lost children. Each had a unique circumstance and through a series of events and and themselves attending um, a retreat for grieving parents felt called to begin their own. So this began in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And so as Jana, as we journeyed through uh, loss, uh, uh, the loss of Jeremiah, there came a time where Jenna, it, it was like after about five years had transpired, she, it was time. She, so she went to be to a retreat at a satellite location because now what started as one is now about 17 or so different locations. But she went, went, out, went out to one in Oregon with another lady that had lost. So at, up until this point, she thought this would be something that she does, but it was clear at that retreat that this is the ministry that her and I need to be involved in together. So she brought that back to me. You know, we prayed through that and I eventually got vetted and approved as a facilitator. So Jen and I uh, became facilitators for this ministry and the couple that really co-led with us our first retreat came from Oregon, that, that 
couple that she had gone out to facilitate or to be there under. And ironically, next month, we're going out to Oregon to facilitate a retreat with them to co-facilitate. So we're really looking forward to that. So it's been a very dynamic ministry. We've had, I can't necessarily count right now, I would imagine eight to 12 retreats. And we also do monthly support meetings at a facility here in Fargo, North Dakota. We actually have one tonight. Mm. Um, And that's, again, an opportunity to share um, hope through loss. And that hope isn't in the hope that we see, but it's in the, it's in the unseen. Uh, it's the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have a desire to bring hope in Christ uh, through encouraging others in the word and by listening and loving them well. No, it is, as I've heard you talk about what the weekend is like and giving parents an opportunity to share their stories and connect with with others who understand actually what has gone on. I think that's one thing that I've heard you mention before is that if you haven't lost a child, you really can't understand. And that's right. I can perceive that to be the case. And so there's a, I think there's a special power that God can use uh, through others who have been through the same sort of tragedy and that he's using you and Jennifer. And it's really, yeah, really amazing. If I, if I had a whole bunch of money, I'd give you a whole bunch of money to, <laughs> to help you in your ministry. But it is. Uh, it, 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 many pastors, several pastors have, have told me that we, we, can't, we can't relate. And so they're very thankful as we are uh, as grieving parents that this ministry is available. Um, it really meets a very deep need. There are very few nationwide that are ministering in this way. I'm sure there's others, yes. Uh, but the need, no more children proportionally are dying, but the need is being discovered or the the, the organization of while we're waiting mm-hmm. is becoming so much more known that the, the a number of retreats and people that are attending is ex- increasing exponentially. So we're, we're grateful. Uh, we're grateful for this family. Makes, makes no sense in, in um, earthly terms outside of the kingdom of God, outside of God's economy, but it's powerful to experience it. Though we would trade it. Yeah. We'd trade it back. But God brings a, a better understanding eventually. Um, we feel the joy when we're able to to reach out to a, you know, when we hear of someone that loses a child through, you know, it's never, no matter how it happens, it's, it's never good, but there's some pretty horrific situations that we've ministered, you know, to parents that have been through some really difficult situations. And, but really it's like a magnet. It's very odd, but we really desire Mm -hmm. to connect with them, to, to love them through their pain. And we know that that comes from the Lord. Mm-hmm. So we have a community that we feel most comfortable with, and that is parents that have lost children. No, I'm very thankful for you guys and your ministry. What advice would you have for parents who are struggling with the loss of their child? And that could be recent or it could be 40 years ago. 
What many parents go through is a community of people that have forgotten their child. And if they, it's almost like they can't bring them up because people then get this opinion or attitude of, well, they must either not be strong in their faith, if they have faith, or they must not be okay. They must, they'll say, oh, so-and-so is still struggling with this. What they don't realize is that grief is a lifelong process. You don't, you don't get over something. Mm-hmm. And so parents that are suffering the greatest loss they've ever had, and that's the loss of their child, they need to know. They need to know that it's okay that even if they're feeling a certain way after 1, 5, 10, or 40, as you said, that it's normal. It's normal to grieve because grieve, we grieve deeply because we love deeply. Mm-hmm. Love doesn't end when a, when a child or a loved one is passed from this earth. Love doesn't end. So neither does grief. What, what we often say at our retreats, one of the things that we read is, are we going to allow this pain that we're dealing with to make us bitter or better? Hmm. The ministry of while we're waiting, it's founded off of Romans eight twenty-five, And to paraphrase it, it says, for we do not grieve as those that don't have hope. And, yeah. and so we will grieve. We'll hope. It's, it's, it's kind of a mix between Second Corinthians passage as well. Um, we hope for what we don't see because the things that we see are transient. And so we, as a couple, focus on the resurrection of Christ because that is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 says, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians four sixteen says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That is our hope. And the Bible talks about an unspeakable joy. Jenna and I do have an unspeakable joy knowing that God has sustained us, Hmm. that we can be conduits of his mercy. So I would encourage people that have lost to continue to, you may be angry at God and God can handle your anger. You know, we don't serve a God that, that is weak. We serve a powerful and mighty God that is our creator. And he, he knows all things. We can't hide any of our emotions or feelings. We can't do anything that shocks him. Uh, He's not surprised by our unbelief. He's not surprised by our doubt, our fears. But as it says in his word, uh, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He walks with us. And as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death of the loss of your child, trust in his promises. Keep on walking forward. Lean into those promises and don't expect them to happen other than 
Let him deal with the, the timeline. However you feel as a parent right now is okay. You don't have to listen to the world because the world doesn't understand. Don't lose heart. Trust in God. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Thank you for that exhortation. If someone is listening and they've lost a child or they know someone who has, how can they find out more information about while we're waiting? Uh, I know you mentioned a podcast, but I'm sure there's a website. and There is, yeah. Uh, whilewerewaiting.org, all one word, of course, is the way to get to the website, or is the website, I'm sorry, uh, and, and you can peruse that. Uh, it, it has all uh, a link to all of the podcasts done, and those podcasts are, are done by the, one of the founding uh, parents, Jill Sullivan, and she, she has interviewed hundreds and so I would listen. Those podcasts are very powerful. And it's quite often couples. Sometimes it's singles that are, that are the guest. So whilewerewaiting.org is a tremendous resource. You know, you and Jana do host a few retreats a year kind of in, in this area, Fargo-Moorhead. Yeah, how, how would someone find out more information about potentially coming to a retreat? So if, they're, if, they're, if they live, you know, within a few hundred miles of here. So in that website, the process of application really is to go to that website and it will give all the retreat locations. Uh, John and I have a location that we most commonly do in Minnesota. This year we have a secondary location in Nome, North Dakota. But all of those available spots are on that website. Okay. And so we were down in Hot Springs in September. September, September, actually it was January, Brandon. <laughs> we were there in both of those months, actually. Uh, anyway, there was a couple that came from Alberta, Canada, hmm. way down to Arkansas. So uh, that's a great resource. It'll point you the right direction. We are doing a retreat in Nome, North Dakota in May. We are doing one in Minnesota near Vergas in October. And then we're doing one in Oregon, as I mentioned, and one in Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, I trust and know that God will use those powerfully. And uh, I'm really thankful for your heart and your ministry. <laughs> Troy, it's been great having you and, and hearing your story, hearing your, your heart, giving us your wisdom and encouragement and pointing us to Christ. It really has been a pleasure. So I'm humbled as always, and privileged, and I'm so thankful for an opportunity just to to give God glory, really, because it's nothing, it's no power and strength in myself. We know where our power comes from, and though we live it out imperfectly, there's hope for us. So thank you, Brandon. Appreciate this very much. Yeah, you bet, brother. Thank you. Uh, we want to remind you and thank you for listening to this episode of the Bluestem Project. It's been a pleasure having you. The Bluestem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. It'd be an honor to take this journey with you. Please do hit the subscribe button and tell a friend or family member experiencing health issues and medical disability about the Bluestem Project. <laughs>